0: Welcome to the Inquiry Oasis, a University of Arizona College of Education podcast. Here in the heart of the Sonoran Desert, we bring you conversations with our esteemed faculty and staff whose research impacts lives from southern Arizona to the far reaches of the globe. Recording from the College of Education's Digital Innovation and Learning Lab, we explore the transformative power of education in this border town where diverse cultures and ideas converge weaving a tapestry of innovation with compassion and a sense of wonder. Join us as we journey through the sands of curiosity, unearthing insights that enrich and inspire. So sit back and relax as we invite you to dive into the Inquiry Oasis. Thank you for tuning into the Inquiry Oasis. I'm your host, Jeffrey Anthony. And today... We're honored to welcome Dr. Sungay Hung, an associate professor in the Department of Disability and Psychoeducational Studies and David and Minnie Meyerson's Distinguished Professor and Special Education Unit Chair at the University of Arizona College of Education. Dr. Hung has dedicated his career to promoting equal access to educational opportunities for students who are blind or visually impaired with or without additional disabilities. His research encompasses areas such as braille reading, assistive technology, and the STEM education of students with visual impairments. Whether it's through teaching class, I'm gonna start over there. Whether it's through teaching classes on braille, literacy development, Nemeth code, or devising instructional strategies for students with visual impairments, Dr. Hong's work is a testament to his commitment to inclusivity and accessibility. And this brings us to the topic of our discussion today we will delve into Dr. Hong's extensive research and explore how his efforts are shaping the future of education for visually impaired students. We'll also discuss his perspectives on technology, pedagogical strategies, and the importance of equal access in educational settings. So, without further ado, let's embark on this enlightening journey with Dr. Hong here in the Inquiry Oasis. It's an honor to be speaking with you, Dr. Hong. Hello, and nice to be here. So before we delve into the intricacies of your work in visual impairment education, I was hoping you could share with our audience your background and the motivation that has guided this remarkable path you are on. I don't know if the remarkable,
1: that word is the right word to uh, describe who I am. Mainly my work has been, you know, identified probably to a degree and promoted by my own needs. To those of you who are listening into this program, I'm a person who is visually impaired and I'm completely blind and has been a reader for my entire life. And so as a child with visual impairments, I've gone through schools and learned things with touch. And, and through that process, you know, I've thought a lot about like, I'm giving this question to myself, like, what is it to be blind? In our society, and that probably is a very cultural question to a degree. But on top of that, the public usually would approach the idea of being blind or being disabled as very, quote-unquote, pity or uh, emotional subjects. And as a child, I thought that there got to be better way of dealing with this than simply saying like, oh, what a pity, uh, you know, blind person, or what can I help you with? You know, that, that kind of, of approach. As I was growing up, I was hoping that there would be things that I would be able to take care of the needs of my own, as well as students and children like who I am, who, who can't see things, and but in the meantime would like to become a contributing citizen in the society and being able to maintain quote-unquote normal life. And so that's I guess what took me here and probably spent the majority of my energy for researching, studying, and, you know, uh, working and meeting people on top of my needs or my own personal needs as playing guitar as my fun thing to do, right? That's probably what took me
0: here. So we're eager to hear about the focus of your research. What drives your investigations into braille reading, assistive technology, and the STEM education for students with visual impairments?
1: Well, I've talked about the questions as we were to talk questions about like what is the tool to make the student with visual impairments to be productive and contributing citizens into the community and into the society. There are some words that guided my mind, and one is to be equitable. And that's because we as a uh, you know a person has a right to be equal and uh, being able to do things in a manner that's equitable. However, what often people tend to forget is the needs of being different. That is, while the idea that we'd like to read book is same, right? It's uh, whether you're blind or whether you're sighted, you're reading books. Mm -hmm. But then the way that you do it is different. Some people would use Braille to do that and others would use print to accomplish the same task. The things that you mentioned, that is braille code, assistive technology, and STEM education, are the tools to make that process of being different to be more accessible, meaning that by utilizing technology, I would be able to do things that otherwise I wouldn't be able to do, or with less effort. For example, I often quote that when I was a, a student at the college a while ago, about uh, 27, eight years ago, the way that I would get an article out of a journal that was quoted on my syllabus would be to go to the library, talk to the librarian, asking the person to help me to find the shelf on the fourth floor, Grab the journal title, come down to the ground floor, go to the copy room, and ask someone to help me to make a copy of that. Because often, if, even if I were trying to do it, there's some edges that are cut off and that, so that wouldn't work well. So then I would bring that copied journal article back to the Disability Resource Center and find a volunteer to record it on a tape player. And then that probably would take another two or three days before I would have access to it. Mm. So I would receive that uh, cassette tape and come back and listen to it. An overall process probably will take easy, you know, a week or two weeks. Mm. Whereas today, if I were given a title of a journal article, I would just go search it and uh, being able to pull it off, open PDF and read it. And that Mm. probably would take about two minutes. So it really is that those three tools, the technology, you know, the Braille and then the STEM probably would uh, serve as a tool that uh, make myself and many people with visual impairments and many people who are disabled to be better, to be included in this society in a manner that's much more
0: exciting and that's much more you know, smooth than, say, without it. Well, this is really fascinating to hear because what I hear there is that these technologies are building capacities for more interactions between people and scholarship and also learning and experiencing and sharing knowledge. Would that be
1: an accurate description? I think you did a nice job of uh, summarizing the context here because when I say being different… The, the people tend to forget that there' got to be a way for you to do things in a certain way, but that mm-hmm. definitely is not true in many instances and especially in our society where there are a lot of views and a lot of ways doing things, things like multi-sensory approach where you would utilize every possible way of gaining access to things is very important. in that I think what you just describe is the concept of accessibility, where, it's not just blind people. It's not just uh, people with disabilities to have the rights to be accessible, right? The things can be different, but in a way that we should be able to enjoy an experience where all the things that we do is accessible. And in that, I would like to bring a quote. There is an author that I think is very impactable in that um, uh, having Girma discussed that accessibility is not just convenient, it is a human right, and I mm-hmm. cannot agree more on her words than that. It really sets the tone creating experiences that's equitable for many people. So in that, we're achieving an experience where the things that we do, although for the same task, would be different, that the task itself is accessible and that whether you're blind, whether you're not, whether you're disabled, whether you're not, you should be able to achieve the task, the goal, the concepts in a manner um, that is accessible to everyone. And I think that really is what um, drove my research in that as a result, you know, I try to create research projects where students with visual impairments Are able to take part in science and technology and STEM education equitably with others. So there are different tools that we use in the process. We've used mentorship as an important way of making the students to be excited about STEM. We also utilized various educational technologies, such things as 3D printers and sound as a way for these students to access different sector and types of STEM education. But I think what is most important that I learned from the process is both for the public and the students to understand the concept that high expectations becomes the key. In other words, it has been open coded that people with visual impairments, the employment rates for them is very low compared to the rest of the population. It is usually coded that only 30% or so of people with visual impairments are working competitively in job markets. And I think that's a very discouraging to a degree. And I think what really makes the chain to be to break is so that both people with visual impairments and then the public would have high expectations. So that it is not just that the public would feel as if whatever the person with disabilities do things and they would see it as, uh, you know, pity and emotional, but it is that, you know, being disabled or being blind is an identity. And, you know, it's just a part of me. But other than that, I would be able to do things in a manner that's probably different, but being able to accomplish the same tasks. And that I would read books using Braille and using technology and using voice. But at the end of the day, what I would achieve
0: is the same
1: as what all other students and faculty members would be able to do here in the campus.
0: You know, this reminds me, you brought up that you play guitar at the beginning. And I can think of a, of a jazz trio where you have a bass player, a piano player and a drummer and they each have their own identity. But what happens is everyone's treated as an equal peer and they work together to create something beautiful in the moment together. And there's no sort of inequities in that relationship there. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that
1: harmony, right, the balance would create. And I think the third leg on the balance is being innovative. That is many of the things that we have done, for example, on the day of about like 200 or 300 years ago, Before Braille was devised, the tactile books that were used for students with visual impairments were created by using nail and then string and then would just copy the shape of alphabet letters. And that would take carts and carts of plates with strings and nails and then you would spend enormous amount of time to create letters for people with visual impairments to to read textually. And that we got the new and very innovative way of doing things called braille, and that substantially reduced the space and the efforts that it took for people to solve the problem and to make the situation to be more equitable. You know, 200 and 300 years later, We're now dealing with what we call refreshable Braille display, where electronic information from internet, from your computer screen are being sent to this device. Then Braille would be created instantaneously. And that probably will not take a cart of Braille books to carry, but would still provide the same experiences that otherwise the people in the 18th and 19th century would have appreciated. So in that sense, I think being innovative and coming up with ideas that are sparkling and uh, being able to solve problems, I think is an important aspect.
0: Well, I want to move on to our next question here, which is understanding our personal connection to our work is often key to realizing its full impact. Could you explain why this research is important to you?
1: And I think it is important to me personally, as a child going through a school for the blind during my middle and high school days, I was so excited a lot about science, stars, black hole, and things that are happening up in the sky. And I asked to my teachers, to my friends, that I'm so interested in studying for planetary science. And the answer always has been no. Hmm. And they think that it is not accessible. They think a lot of it is very visual, Hmm. that you will not be able to contribute it for, say, collecting data, making observations, creating hypotheses, and so on. So you are not a good candidate for planetary science. And I, I think that was very... Understandable at the time, right? All the reasons that they told me were reasonable. So I thought that was true, right? So I said, okay, well, if you think that's not the right path to go, then I would accept it later. When I had an opportunity talking with many capable faculty members here at the university and some of my friends there at the planetary science, they said that actually the data that is being collected from far is numbers it is numeric data that we receive however the conversion is taking place with visual images because that's what a lot of audiences use right and so for that matter if we could change it to touch textual format and if we could change those numeric data into sound then I should be able to appreciate the same experiences that my sighted planetary scientist would have. And we didn't know that. And from my personal own experience, and probably this applies not only to the science, but many other areas of studies that are going on here at the university campus, it is very easy for us to say that, hey, it is not accessible. Hey, I don't think you'll be able to participate in it because many of the things are visual. But flipping the coin and thinking about the idea that it, uh, that it is possible for us to change and make it to be accessible. So coming back to the word of, uh, you know, being accessible, it is not convenience. It is right, right? So in that sense, I was so excited. For example, I conducted a National Science Foundation-sponsored research projects. That utilizes 3D printing materials and convey the ideas of geological features of Mars to students with visual impairments and use that as a motivational factor for their science education. And I was so excited, not because I was, you know, working for and about, you know, being convenient, but rather. I was working for the possibility of making sure that the human rights of being accessible is treated and understood equitably.
0: Well, you hinted at this already, but so I want to bring it right back here to the space we're sitting in. Why do you believe this research is important to the community here at the University of Arizona?
1: There are a couple of things that I think it is very important. One, like I said, since it's a human rights, the university has every responsibility to provide its knowledge and its research capacity to topics that may not necessarily be most fashionable. That's one thing. But the second thing is, while I'm talking about students with visual impairments and their needs, the knowledge of today's society is very commingled and interrelated. In that sense, I have a number of students from the planetary science department who happened to be sighted, and told me that when they textually observed some of the 3D-printed models that we create for the project, they were able to make sense of Mars Mm. and its features much better than simply seeing it. There, I think, the value of my work and research that delve into touch and sound is so that we as a university and uh, as a powerhouse of research would be able to create a vehicle where multi-sensory approach is being applicable to many other types of research. In mm-hmm. that, I had an opportunity to uh, run a project together, a fact member in engineering departments. The idea was to create an obstacle detection for people with visual impairments. Later... The faculty member was able to utilize that very technology with his graduate students for research in the area of autonomous vehicle and being able to use the system to detect obstacles around the vehicle. And I think that really shows the identity of these small-scale but very distinctive and innovative type of research ideas and knowledge. It not only would just imply and affect the group of students, in this case, students with visual impairments, but in many cases, depending on the way that it is implied and applicable, that it be able to be used by many other society and community here at the university campus.
0: That was really fascinating. While you've been doing this research, has there been any discoveries or outcomes that have just taken you by surprise?
1: Well, Surprise, I don't know, is the right word to describe it, but one thing that we've learned that I think is very fascinating is that, indeed, students with visual impairments can become very excited about science. Again, going back to that expectation, the public often would understand that science is something that is so visual that many students with visual impairments would not be able to have a lot of fun and motivational experiences. However, when we were providing these educational materials and experiences to students in the manner that is fulfilling to their needs, in this case, sound and touch, they had become very excited about science. So it is not just about the simple question of, can you do this or can you not do it? It's more of like, what is the way to motivate our students? In that sense, with the sound and technology, I found that science can become a very exciting topic and that many students with visual impairments were so motivated for science and science learning. So I thought that was rather exciting than surprising. But in a way, that was the biggest finding that I could come up with on my research
0: project. If you could jump into a time machine and observe the state of education for the visually impaired and the state of assistive technology, what would you love to see in this future?
1: Probably among many needs that people with visual impairments have, one of the two most distinctive needs may be to move around independently and freely and then to read independently independently and freely? Mm -hmm. And you would think that both of these questions are pretty easy, right? But indeed, it is not. I was just had a meeting with one of my colleagues there in the student union, and they had this kiosk where I would have make selections on the screen. And we're beginning to see that some of these kiosks are equipped with voices, but nonetheless, I think with various types of signs and materials and colors available for printing, often, even with the most advanced smartphones, it is somewhat difficult to read information from different things. I'm not saying that there isn't a technology to try to solve that problem, but I think none of them are perfect yet. And then the second, like I said, the needs of moving around is another important things. you know. Things like I'd like to just wake up in the morning and think like, oh, I'd like to go to Mountain Lemon. And then, you know, if, if you are a driver, you would be able to just pull out your car key and drive off to Mountain Lemon and have nice two or three hours of walk. In my case, I probably need to call Uber or Lyft, Make a reservations, try to create a tactile map of the location where I would go, so that I would be able to make some understanding of the area and how it would look, and I gotta come over the plan for the way to come back because usually lift is not available up on the top of Mount Lemon, so would I ask a favor of my friends to pick me up there, or would I decide not to go right? So there's a lot of these, not just moving around but Plans that are relevant to that particular question of I'd like to go to the top of Mount Lemon this morning. So hopefully there would be something that allows me to sort of experiences the same way like you do as a sighted person that I'd like to go someplace this morning and freely you would just do it. So. I don't know if the technology would be a shape of an app, You know, it can be like a robot guide dog. Who knows, right? Or it can be like these virtual glasses that are beginning to be seen on YouTube and places like that. But whatever capacity may be, if there's a technology that takes care of the orientation and mobility needs, as well as the needs of literacy for people with visual impairments, I think that would be a perfect solution and my Christmas gift.
0: As we near the end of our conversation, we like to ask our guests to recommend a book or a paper that has been meaningful to them. Could you share one with our audience and explain how it has impacted you?
1: Sure. The book that I'd like to recommend is Heaven by Heaven Gurma, and Heaven Gurma is a advocacy lawyer, a graduate from Harvard, and herself is a person with depth blindness. And so. Probably I'm not just talking about the dedication that she put in, and I'm not talking about how emotional can that be to become a lawyer as a person who is deafblind. But what I'm trying to say is that the society, in a way, made a good progress and created these opportunities where we see a lot of people can become contributing citizens in our society. And she described a lot about the needs of technology, the importance of accessibility, the idea of being equitable. And her book really gave a lot of food of thoughts that I could learn, and especially thinking about ways that people with disabilities can become contributing citizens into the society on top. By understanding her description of accessibility, And the way that she thinks that the disability is being formed culturally, that really gave me a lot of thoughts about ways that I would be able to design my own research projects in the future with seeing disability and blindness as just an identity, not as a defining feature of a person. So in that regards, I would recommend this book, Heaven by Heaven, Germa, as one of the titles that the audience would have access to and learn from it.
0: Well, Dr. Hong, it's been a profound pleasure delving into the vital world of education for students with visual impairments and learning about what drives you and your research. Your commitment to promoting equal access, your passion for braille and literacy development, and your innovative approaches to assistive technology are both inspiring and incredibly important. We eagerly await witnessing the continued impact of your transformative work within this field. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today in the Inquiry Oasis. We hope our conversation with, with Dr. Sungae Hong has inspired you as much as it has us. Remember, we're back on the first and third Wednesdays every month with fresh insights and conversations. So be sure to tune in. Until next time, keep your curiosity alive. And remember, knowledge is our oasis.